Welcome to the BNSP Show, where we give you our take on what's happening in popular culture, black life, and politics. Because while we keep our fingers on the pulse, we know everyone doesn't have time to stay tapped in. So sit back and rock with us, y'all, as we unpack these topics. And how y'all say we're ready, because sometimes it gets wild. Welcome back to the BNSP Show, everybody. Episode 3. Episode 3. I can't believe it. We here. Consistency. Yep. One one at a time. <sighs> We're making it. So what we got this week for him? Well, just like we mentioned on last week's episode, it is still Women's History Month. All March. <laughs> all March. As we know, women of color, more specifically black women, are vital to shaping the culture and trends in all facets of life. Small businesses are what drive our economy, and their success helped to define what opportunities will be available in our community. So with that, we wanted to highlight a small business, and... That brings us to our first interview. We apologize for the audio. Due to social distancing, we had to conduct the interview via Zoom. Let's get into it. So in honor of Women's History Month, we are highlighting a few local businesses uh, owned and operated specifically by women of color, more specifically by Black women. Uh, our guest today is Samantha. Welcome, Samantha. Hi, how are you guys doing today? Doing good, we're doing good. Doing good. Okay, Samantha, so we're really excited to get to know you and more about paper decor more. So can you tell us a little bit about where you're from? Um, born and raised in Los Angeles, specifically Inglewood, California. Um, only time I've left was when I went to college at Florida State University. Okay. Been an LA native, you know, here holding it down. Okay, okay. So Florida didn't uh, uh, save you, you know, that you didn't want to stay. It didn't like pull you away from Los Angeles. No, I got pregnant, and so then I had to come home to my family and to like some like stability. So I got pregnant my senior year of college, and then I came back home because I wanted to be around my family. Good timing. Senior year, that's the time. <laughs> yeah, I graduated seven months pregnant. So I was like, I'm done, hey, moving on. That's Shout what's out up. to that's Black what's women up. getting it done. Okay. 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 Um, so give us a little bit of detail about the moment you decided to take the leap to start your own company. Like, what was the inspiration? What made you start Paper Decor more? Definitely my daughter. Um, like I said, I was a young mom and I knew the type of mother I wanted to be. And in order to do that, I knew I had to have flexibility around my work schedule. You know, I wanted to be there to pick her up, drop her off, go to parent-teacher conferences, field trips, because those are the things that I feel like I wanted as a kid. So I was like, I wanted to give that to her. So once I had her and I went into the nine to five, I was like, this ain't it. <laughs> and I was always, I've always been creative. And I actually made my first invitation for my baby shower. So I was like, well, maybe this can kind of work, you know, through yeah. my creativity, I can maybe make some money. And I just Absolutely. kept going. I haven't stopped. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's cool. So what would you say would be the best business advice that you would give to a young creative? Start with what you know and let it grow. Mm, I like that. I like that. I do like that. So when you did that first baby shower invitation where people kind of like, where'd you get this? I really enjoy, like, enjoy the uh, design and that kind of like sparked your uh, like businesses. Yeah, they were like, who designed it? I said, well, I did. And then I started making cards for my family. And then 
they love the cards. So they were like, why don't you try to put it into some local stores? Mm-hmm. So I put it into the local stores and then I was able to build partnerships with those local stores. And I built a specific partnership with the local bakery and that lets me into doing their dessert tables. So it was like, like literally every like little step and mountain just kind of elevated the business to where it is now. Wow. So you kept seeing opportunities and going through those windows. That's cool. Exactly. That's amazing. Okay. Um, I do. I just see that you do like a plethora of different things. You don't only do cards. You do cards, invitations, balloon decor, the dessert tables you spoke about, gift wrapping, and custom yard signs. So with the pandemic affecting small businesses so drastically, how did that really um, help your um, yard signs? Because I saw them everywhere in LA, like graduating from here, going to Sarah, going to this school. So tell us more about how you work around the challenges in the pandemic and maybe how your business grew. Yeah, that was a definite pivot because it was doing yard signs like nobody. So now it's like, I had to offer that. I had to open up, you know, different lanes since I wasn't doing weddings or baby showers because nobody was doing those big gatherings or no more. I had to kind of pivot into what works in the drive-by space. So partnering once again with local, um, with a balloon decor lady and then putting in like her ideas with my creativity and saying, okay, let's do this like this and kind of just pushed me into the COVID um, to being able to work through the pandemic. And then additionally, I strengthened my digital presence and my digital branding part with um, WFE Consulting. I started to do more branding and more social media content for local small businesses. So that kind of helped me keep, you know, everything like at bay. Yeah. Um, I noticed you mentioned social media and um, your online presence. So how important would you say having a social media and online footprint is to young creatives and young business owners in this day and age? Oh, it's significant. Like, and if you don't know what you don't know, research or find somebody that does. Like, because you don't need to waste time because when you waste time, there's other people who are doing it. You know, so it is essential that you have a footprint. And even now, I've been working with people who have been in business for let's say 20, 25 years, and they never went to the social media aspect. But since the pandemic occurred, Mm -hmm. they see how influential it is. And now they're trying, they want to hop on board, you know, but they're on that learning curve because they didn't grow up with it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The pandemic definitely taught us that you have to have some type of virtual online presence because you never know when in person is going to stop. It never occurred to me, you know, that you wouldn't be face to face. My job previously was volunteerism, you know, and then you couldn't volunteer. So how do you still engage people in that way uh, with your business? Um, Let's see. So I just want to know specifically as a woman of color, as a small business, um, and in a in a um, industry, the stationary business is ninety five billion dollars. The stationary industry is ninety five billion dollars annually. So, are there any specific challenges that you have incurred as a small business or a woman of color trying to get into that industry? I think that my problem, which is probably something that many small businesses and women of color specifically deal with, is just funding. You know, it's like I self, I've self-funded my business. The first time I took out a loan was for the PPP. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I've never, I've just been working, being a mom and running a business. So I've never 
like visualize like the bigger aspect until I had till I sat down and was well was set down by the pandemic to see like there's so many more opportunities for us that we're just not aware of. Yeah. You know, so um yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's funding like the access to funding or just even the thought that you can scale your business and like grow with some type of like loan or grant or something. Exactly. Like the fact that you can and the fact that it is easily accessible. Like, I feel like we put these detours in our minds before we even get to the challenge. And like, we don't even know that that's there because either A, there's nobody around us that has built a business that is a million dollar business. B, we, our friends are maybe working jobs. So they're kind of like removed from us, but yet we're confiding in them and saying, I have this struggle, I need this money. And they're like, oh girl, well, I can't help you. And I'm like, well, you know, I still need somebody to talk to. So just like a combination of the lack of knowledge and then just the lack of resources. So where would you say is a place that you use to draw on that knowledge to gain the different avenues that you can use to raise funding and find these different resources? I started being more open and talking to my peers, my peers who were also in business more, you know, and I kind of not close off certain friendships, but I just changed friendships that Mm -hmm. were more beneficial to where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a nice girl. I hear yeah, you. I my circle, you know, so then therefore, like my brain elevates. So, yes. yeah, the US got to change people that are around you most times. Yeah. Like, yeah. People that inspire you who, like, are actually, if, I feel like not even like people are doing better, but people who you look to for advice or look to who are doing things that you want to grow and att- aspire to. Yeah. And then, like, the principle of Sankofa of giving back the knowledge, I think it's like a, a full circle thing. So they, they're they always willing to help you. And it just takes asking sometimes. We, a lot of times we close ourselves off or you just like, I got it, I'll do it, I'll push through. But people are normally willing to share a lot of information. Yeah. Um, yep. so I think that's really important. And um, specifically, have you found any resources, like any specific uh, grant programs or small business loan programs? Uh, that you have outside the PPP loan that you uh, would be able to give people advice on to reach out to? The LA COVID grant, I did get that grant as well. Um, and that was a good one. I got, it was an easy application, you know, just like literally, but you have to have, another thing is like, you have to have a foundation in your business. You know, like it's one thing to have an idea, but you have to really be able to implement like what you want to do and be able to convey that. Because you could type up something and then they're like, oh, that's not a good idea. And then people just immediately dismiss it. But it may be the language that you use, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I would say I got the COVID grant. And I also just started this entrepreneurship program with, um, forgive me, it's called, well, it's with Baptist College. It's an entrepreneurship college that's based out of Massachusetts. I can't think of the actual name of the program right now offhand, but it is um, specifically for women of colors, for women of color. And they had like 400 applicants. They chose 40 businesses to do an eight week, like intensive entrepreneurship program. So I started that last week. So once again, building my network, changing my environment, like speaking knowledge. Okay. Nice. Okay. So um, let's talk about your products that you offer. What would you describe as your top seller? My cards, cards, my hand cards, yeah, like um, people always want a custom card to give to their family for any, you know, occasion, birthdays, thank yous, and then a lot of people buy like just, they want a box set of thank you cards, so just okay. the cards. 
Was there any particular holiday that you noticed you have like a more uptick in business or is it just kind of like across the board since everyone's kind of grounded right now? Christmas, like that's always big. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. That is the season of giving. <laughs> exactly. And Valentine's Day, of course. Okay. Oh, yeah. Giving in yeah. love. And I, um, I definitely perused your site. I love the handmade cards. I'm definitely going to send my sister to your site because she's one of those people that will spend like $15 on a Hallmark Hallmark card. Like she loves, loves cards. Um, and then also you mentioned thank you cards. And I really think the power of a thank you has been lost through like text and digital. And um, specifically throughout the years, like every time like something major happens, um, I'll like take time and write thank you cards. And it really moves people. So I really like appreciate that you have that offering for people and people should look out for that um, because you never know like how that'll change someone's day just saying thank you. Yeah. And importantly, the fact that it's custom because um, a lot of things with the Harmon cards is that they're very general, they're generic, mm -hmm. and they just feel like somebody just went to the store, bought it, and handed it to somebody. And it's just like, oh, thanks. Like, this doesn't mean anything. But the fact that these are actual custom cards that, you know, that'll move towards like being more special to people. Yeah. Uh -huh. There's been several occasions where I've been at birthday parties, baby showers, and it's like you see four of the same card. You're exactly. like, because oh. you just popped it right <laughs> in and grabbed it. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Um, has there ever been a moment in your journey where you almost gave up? And if so, what brought you through? Yeah, there's been a couple of moments where I almost gave up. Um, uh, I would say the more recent one was when, was through this pandemic, like, you know, um, transitioning to being, uh, I was used to a certain schedule, dropping my daughter off at school, coming home, working on the business, picking her up. So once it became to where she was home all the time, I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is a lot of work here. would agree with you on that. Yes, you know, so. I was like, I, I, my background is in financial compliance. Like I worked for banks. So I was like, well, I could easily get like an online banking job right now and just kind of just teeter out to see where the business goes or where the pandemic goes. You know what I'm saying? Just to make sure that I have some stability financially. Mm -hmm. But I just said, I can't. Like I can't, because I quit my job two years ago and I'm like, I just can't go back. I can't, I can't. I don't care what pandemic, what may happen, but as long as, if I stay focused on what my goals are, I know I can accomplish them. So that's what I had to just remember. And I had to think back to when I first started the business to when she was a baby and she was on my hip and we're doing dessert tables to like where we are now. And, you know, like yeah. I can't, I had to give myself grace to say yeah. it's okay, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Grace, give yourself grace. That's, yeah. that's important. I think that's lost right now because a lot of people are kind of frustrated on where they are and where everything is going and the timing of things, but the, you give yourself grace. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, yeah. that's key. It's definitely, I like that. it's hard to not know exactly because we're so defined and like, you know, your next step and your plan and your goals. And this has completely shifted everything, what's going on. And it's kind of like a time of preparation, you know? Yes. And that's why like, I started doing yoga. So like being more mindful and like just present. Like, so today I am here. Like my washing machine is broke. Okay, today I will be going to the laundromat. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. Can't worry about it. Yeah, you know, like, gotta adapt and keep moving. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's awesome. Okay. Bringing it back full circle to you, reaching out to people for help, the principal of Sankofa. I saw that you on your website offer a free handmade business guide. 
uh, for anyone that wants to download it. What was your inspiration behind that and giving someone a resource? Because that's a really good, good resource for someone to have. Just like you said, spreading the knowledge, like knowledge is power. And we've all been through different situations and come across different battles. And when we share those things, it allows people to become more in tune with their purpose or what they may be driven to do. So it's like, I've been doing this business for almost 10 years now. I've maintained partnerships, lost partnerships, been up, down, left, right. Like, here's this information for you guys. I hope that you could use it as a tool and it'd be beneficial for you. You know, that was like my main inspiration. Wow, that's that's really amazing. I'm glad that you're passing down the knowledge to somebody else because then you could spark the interest and maybe get some other businesses kicked up. So that's that's dope. Yeah, for sure. And you have some amazing partners. Um, I looked on the website. You have corporate partners with USC, Westfield, Culver City, aka Fox Hills, if you know. You <laughs> Um, and Southern Girl Desserts. So you have some really, um, really good names behind you in corporate partnerships. Uh, is there a specific event or corporate partner or just in general, like event that you've done that you've really enjoyed or a card that you've made, like a custom project um, that stands out? Um, I would say that all of my experiences, like with Southern Girls Desserts, like doing their dessert tables, each one has been different. So just being able to be creative, like not one stands out in particular. I would just say they all had their own like unique qualities. And then just being able to um, provide the beauty backdrop for somebody's baby shower or for somebody's wedding, and you know, like, and then also the delicious treats that are on the table. Um, and then, uh, but I would say the biggest shift probably for my business personally was when I started going into the malls and doing my pop-ups and doing the gift wrapping and then just being more customer engaged. Yes. I know that's kind of like a little lost now with the pandemic, like, personally but yeah. it still helped me just cultivate a stronger sense of confidence for my business so I would say that that helped me the most probably too okay are there any partnerships or any businesses that you plan on working with or that you want to work with Ooh. Mm. the breakfast club I listen to them every morning so I want to be hey. on the breakfast club Darling, <laughs> Yeah, I will say that like that's like everybody who knows me knows like that's my number one. Um, nice. And then, well, there's a people, a couple of people who I can't think of anybody else that's like I want to. I'm working on now reaching out to more craft bloggers and different people like that because I have been so just closed off in my business that I need mm -hmm. to open up more to my niche to you know brand branch off. But I just say the Breakfast Club. I love it. Nice, <laughs> nice. I ain't mad at it. <laughs> Um, let's see here. Um, and I know you said you do a lot of the work yourself. Do you have any other staff members? Do, do you have anyone that helps you with production when you have large orders or is just a one woman show? Well, my daughter does all my Instagram, um, like comments and postings or not postings, but all the comments like on other people's pages and stuff like mm -hmm. that, like the comments, that's her job. Um, and then I have four interns and they help me with like a lot of my social media content planning um and just like helping me push the business further and I actually just hired them two weeks ago so we're in like our first stages of just okay. moving everything forward I have um my business manager Lee and then I have a full-time graphic designer okay. wow okay so we out here yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, let's see. And then still in line with that, what is like your growth goal for your business in the next year? Like, at, like let's say the world opens up or it doesn't open up. Like, where is paper decor more going in the next year? Um, I would like to definitely increase my online presence um, through Google Analytics and just through different like ways like that on the back end. And I would like to just sell more products. So we're moving into a space of an arts and crafts supply store. So mm -hmm. we're doing like our own um, paper cutters. We're doing our own glue pens, our own glue dots. So moving nice. into like a Michael space. Okay. Of course, okay. black owned. Okay. Yes. With your label on it. Exactly. That's awesome. Exactly. Brandy. And then okay. still having our personalized items, the cards, the invitations. And so just I'm transitioning the business and segueing it into that you know so yeah okay okay do you have like a, a motto or a daily affirmation that you use yes um don't condemn complain or hold anything inside mm, i like that don't condemn complain or hold anything inside let that shit go yep <laughs> <laughs> exactly all right all right moving on i got it i got it i love it oh my gosh okay well also, just as we've had this lovely conversation, how can people find you? What are your social channels? What's your website like? How can they find your business? Sure, we're on Instagram at Paper Decor More. And then our website is www.paperdecormore.com. And Facebook is Paper Decor More too. So everything's Paper Decor More. Got it. Okay. So all of our craft people, all of anyone who loves cars, anyone who wants to support artists, black business, okay, because we have to support ourselves, um, go ahead and reach out. Uh, Samantha has been gracious enough to offer all of our listeners 10% off for the next 30 days. So between uh, Monday when this episode airs and that's what, the 15th? Yes, the 15th. So the 15th of March to the 15th of April, you can reach out to Tax day. us <laughs> show, uh, or reach out directly to her and let her know that you heard about us, heard about her business. And we'll have show. the discount code in the show description. So um, you guys can go ahead and, and find that. Yeah. But support. Um, and I think that's it. And thank, thank you so much. I, I had a really nice time. You are our first interview. Definitely. First uh, <laughs> Love being the first of anything. I take it. Number one. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I'm really excited. I, we, I really appreciate you taking your time. Yes, thank um, you. Thank you. I'll be looking on the website and I'll be using my little 10% off. Like I said, my sister loves cards. So I'm like, boom, you're not up on this. Here you go. A little <laughs> custom card. A little custom card. And thank you. Um, thank you for your time. We'll let you get back to uh, making this money. Thank you guys for your great energy. Wishing you a blessed Friday and a good weekend. Thank you so much. That was awesome. Samantha had such great energy. I cannot wait to try out some of her products. Yeah, she really did. I really enjoyed that interview. Be sure to check it out. Use the code, the BNSP show. Give us some support and let's work together. All right. So uh, what's on the docket today? Well, what you got on your mind this week? Colorism. I didn't really think through how I was supposed to introduce this topic, but it's really been on my mind. I feel like we both have experiences with it as African-Americans and both being in corporate America or some facet of it. Also, just all this racial tension and forward thinking that America's been doing on the topic of, you know, racial injustices, the inequities uh, in pay, in our housing availability. And I just wanted to see how colorism may play a role in that and maybe our experiences with that. Yeah. And to me, 
colorism is one of those topics that just never goes away. It's it's crazy that we're still having this conversation, but it seems like it just always comes up. I feel like in 2021, people are trying to kind of suppress it and yeah. don't want to speak about the differences within our own African-American community and the issues we have. Well, see, the problem with that is that when it comes to issues with African-American community, since we have so many of them, it's like that's one of those in-house issues that we have to deal with with ourselves, but it's also perpetuated and it starts from external sources. So I think while everyone's focused on pushing an African-American agenda when it comes to like police brutality and like equality in the workplace and stuff like that, it's more of on a macro level. But then when you really get down to the micro level, it's just like, okay, well, we also have colorism within the black community. That's another thing. So it's a double-edged issue that you have to deal with. Yeah, and it's it's in our everyday politics, even with the election of Kamala Harris as the first female African-American, Southeast mm-hmm. Asian American woman elected to the U.S. presidency. There are characteristics about her that speak to the fact that she was more palatable for white Americans and also for black Americans. I mean, shit, we can even take it back to Obama. Yeah. We can even take it back to Obama because Obama was, he was mixed race and he was very, very palatable. He was probably the most palatable black person that we could find, and he was still a nigga. Yeah, he was still too black. I mean, Jay Z said it in 444. Like, you still a nigga, bro. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm OJ. No. Yeah. I'm not black. I'm OJ, nigga. <laughs> okay. Um, well, like, personally, my, like, even with Kamala, so she is, like, she still straightens her hair, which is fine. Yeah. She ha- has, like, a, um, a less coarse grade of hair. Uh, her skin tone I wouldn't say she the lightest I've never seen her in person so maybe in person she may be a bit more fair but she would be considered in our community light skinned because well basically let's just get down to it like colorism is basically your proximity to whiteness so the closer you are to white which is you know the white features thinner noses lighter eyes straighter hair black people that are more closer favored in that range are usually favored and usually get preferential treatment as opposed to african americans that have darker skin features wider noses coarse hair etc etc yeah and colorism it was it's something that was instituted i think around the world but yeah, specifically to it's america no one wants to be dark right as b said um, it's your proximity to European, like into yep. European characteristics. And this is a way that they kind of created, I believe, in the past, a hierarchy between black people as you gain access. Um, we'll give it to the lighter skinned person because when I feel closer to her, second, it may be my daughter. Um, and- so, what do you think the motivation of that was? Like, what do you think it was that made Europeans try to institute colorism? To sow dissent. Mm. And to also still make whiteness the central, mm. like it was, it's still the central. You're still trying to be European, and this is your proximity to it based on these characteristics that you have. And so we're still going to sow division within blacks. You know, we still need to keep like I think they still needed to keep the hierarchy that was on the plantations. Yeah. And so let's move this into our places of work. Let's move this into domestic work. Let's move it into politics or where place you have access, and still make it that you still are trying to attain this whiteness. You still want to be close to that because that's how you get in the room. And not to say that fair-skinned people throughout history's fair-skinned black people have not made inroads for others who were not allowed in the room. And yeah. I think that's the issue that black people have lately. We always want to highlight and give um, you know reverence to darker skin and give them a space kind of at the dismantling of light-skinned black people that we somehow 
should be ashamed or that we yeah. were given this access and it wasn't earned. It's because you're this, but it's it's kind of like taking away from our blackness. Yeah, and I think that that's a, <laughs> a multi-layered issue when it comes to that because on one hand, you do want to be happy for someone because it's like, hey, we got a black person in the room. But then on the other hand, there still is an underlining tone of like, that black person was selected mm -hmm. and we know why. And a lot of the times that reason of like, oh, we know why is kind of hidden. And I think within the black community, it's kind of like one of those, like, if you know, you know, type of things. And a lot of people are trying to pretend that that's not real in 2021. And at this point, it's, it's like, no, nah, we kind of have to address it. Do you believe that in even thinking that we're given license to the colorism, though? Because why can't we fully be happy for Kamala, me, myself included, as a full black woman? Barack, in spite of being mixed race, he was still a black man. And if we're still having these conversations, well, it's like, but he's this type of black man. Yeah. It's most it's us. Even well, though we know that exists, we are still feeding into the stereotypes of saying, well, it's still this kind of box and that's why versus yeah. like he was fully a black man. He still represented us. Well, then I guess staying along the lines of this argument, I, I guess you're asking, is it kind of counterproductive to point that out that, mm -hmm. oh, well, the only reason this person is here because they're getting preferential treatment for whatever reason it is. On one hand, I want to say yes, but on the other hand, I want to say no. And the reason I want, I'm leaning more towards no is because you kind of have to address that preferential treatment. And pretending that it's not there is almost like those people that stormed the Capitol pretending that they were not insurgents. <laughs> like It's like pretending that that's not domestic terrorism when, they, hey, that, that's domestic terrorism. Like, we need to call things what they are. Yeah. Like, at, and at some point, that's the only way we're going to get through it. In the 12-step program, the first step is acceptance. Like, you have to accept that there is a problem and say, like, hey, this is a problem. This is something that's going on. Now that we've accepted the problem, now we can get to a solution. But if we continue to sit here and pretend that that's not the case that's going on when it is. And there are studies to prove it. So when it comes to the numbers, there are studies that do show that colorism does exist in a lot of different aspects of life. And it can go all the way from your job, the way you're treated at school, and even your treatment with law enforcement. So there was a study that was done by Ellis Monk, a Harvard sociology professor who conducted a study using data collected from a national survey conducted during 2001 and 2003. So this was a long time ago, so okay. a lot of these numbers could have changed. But I thought it was really interesting because it said that your chances of being arrested as an African-American significantly increase with your skin tone. Okay. So very light-skinned people, this is the first of the, of the scale. It says very light-skinned people, you have a 40% chance of being arrested. Light-skinned people have 44%, somewhat light, 48%, medium, 53%, somewhat dark, 57%, dark, 60%, and very dark, 65%. So you basically have no chance, and as a black person, it's almost like half of a chance that you'll be, it's at least have some type of interaction with the police like and be arrested. like a Fenty skin tone color wheel, and the darker you get, the higher get chance you have to go to jail. But... The, the black community, they know that this is real. Like they see their darker skin, African-Americans be treated that way. And they see the preferential treatment that does come from being closer to whiteness. And even with the, the facts you just gave, staying on that point, like as a black woman being in a room with people who look like me, it's more of a shock for someone who has not been arrested in the room. I'm like, you've never been arrested? <laughs> you've never had an interaction with the police and you're black? And this is and like- that's just being black. Yeah, just being just black. Just being black. So then when you add your skin tone on top of that, 
like you have to address that that's something that you have to look at colorism is an issue like we can't pretend that that's not real because it is real like how do you okay in life how do you think you've used your access or proximity to european like i know you all can't see us but i'm on the fairer tone brand is what i like to call kind of like a caramel you know it's like a caramel so with me it's, it's always been hard for me to like place myself on i guess what if you want to call the skin tones color spectrum because for me the way i've been treated was always in direct juxtaposition between who i was standing next to mm. so if i'm around people that are lighter than me then i am the dark skin friend and then if i'm around people that are darker than me then i'm the light skin nigga so it's like uh. i depending on where i am in junction to where everyone else is is the kind of treatment that i'm getting but at the end of the day i'm still treated black period when i get pulled over and i get arrested they're gonna put a b on my on mm-hmm. my name they're not gonna put medium complected african no black it doesn't matter and like i still get that same energy but there are times where if i am around people that are darker than me then maybe that's when i would probably get light skin privilege for me as being so fair i always feel like i've had to of course prove my blackness because it came with all the names like yellow girl white girl oh you think you white or you so pale or you gonna burn in the sun or also the reverse of it understanding when i'm walking down the street and it's hot outside and someone's saying like oh yeah put your umbrella because you don't want to get too dark Mm. and it's understanding that i don't mind my color regardless like i'm fair i'm never gonna be super chocolate even though in my soul i'm like as black as they come but i also feel like i outwardly express it more because i've always had to fight for it so i have the locks and i think that's a direct result of colorism Mm -hmm. because every day you walk outside you're wearing that where you have to almost prove your blackness in different spaces because people are looking at you like oh you're look at that light-skinned person over there like they're probably they have preconceived notions about who they think you are just based on your skin color yeah and but it also i understand my privilege i understand my proximity to privilege yeah. and i feel like i take advantage of it and i always have through my networking opportunities yeah what the are some examples I'm of in. ways that you've used it um for example if there is an opportunity for me in a business situation at, uh, at my previous employer to go to let's say a smaller setting with people a variety of uh, ages but no, knowing i were probably one of two black people at a tennis match Um, But taking those moments and understanding that I have, I make people feel more comfortable because of the way I speak, because of the way uh, my skin tone is, and then also because of the way I present myself. But I'm also super black. I don't, like, I code, you all, we all code switch, right? But there's still a vein. Can we stay on code switching for a second? (laughs) You said that's that's my word right there. Like, (laughs) Code switch. So... Um, in case you guys don't know what co-switching is, co-switching is when you are around mixed company and you change different, what is it, behaviors. Behaviors, your, the your, tonality. The, your tone of your voice, maybe your mannerisms. Um, you, they're just different. You, you purposely flip a switch and you become something different depending on the spaces that you're in. Can you give me an example of a time where you co-switched and you actually caught it? Where you were like, oh, shit, Um, I just do that? I have about four different codes I have. I have me with my, like, really close friends. I have myself with, like, my family. I have myself with associates. Mm. And then I have work me, you know, like. If I come over here, I'm like, hey, what up, Anika? (laughs) But at work, I'm like, oh, my God, Brandon, so great to see you today. Yo, so (laughs) here's here's a project that I want all of my um, African-American listeners to do. 
get your homie's work phone number <laughs> and call them blocked and just listen to who answers the phone because I guarantee you, you're not going to know who that person it's is. It's not who you talk to it's on Saturday. It's not who you talk to on Saturday at all. Like that, and it's weird that we do it so naturally, but I think that that's something that's also colorism. Like that's something that we're taught where it's just like you kind of have to tuck in your blackness yeah. to be accepted and be palatable in these places. And that's not to say that I personally love to enunciate words. I love vocabulary. So it's not, but there are just certain laxes that I won't take at work. Yeah. Um, and there are certain topics that I will make sure that I curate to make sure that the, it's palatable for them to understand, but without taking for myself. So I may speak when Nipsey Hussle died, I made sure I talked about him, but I also made sure to present him as a philanthropist before I presented him as an artist. Yeah. And I to- told all the other things he did before. I was like, oh, yeah, he from 6 which is a gang, you know, yeah. but if I had brought it in how I would have maybe spoken to you or my friends, I would have started like, oh, remember he's from 6 Yeah. And then remember all the things like he developed and he grew into this person and then he was a philanthropist. Exactly. So it's just how, it's how you tailor it. It's how I come in the door. I either start, you know, how I, how I share the story. So, but there's still veins of truth. Like I don't completely code switch where I couldn't have any of those other groups of people all be in the same room and yeah, not say yeah, that yeah. they don't know Shaquinta, but some people may not know that I cuss. Or some people may not know that I have a Southern drawl at all, you know, but yeah. even though I, people can still hear it, but <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just like that. But See, it, for me, it's more of a tone thing mm. because being an African-American male, we're looked at as violent, dangerous, threatening. Mm-hmm. So subconsciously when I entered in spaces around mixed company, like I seem like I take a lot of bass out of my voice where I'll like, yeah, yeah, sure. It's it's okay. Yeah, I can do that. Like when I definitely when the answer is no. Like no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to do any of that shit actually. Like I'm busy. I'm tired. I'm I'm actually leaving right now, but it's always like, yes, yeah, sure. Whatever. Like cool. I can do it. And it's I like overly be nice. Mm-hmm. Like I'm overly nice. I try to smile more. I try to make people more comfortable and stuff like that. And then I didn't really start realizing that I started doing it until maybe like a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I I try to purposely not do that now. Like, say no when you mean it. Yeah. Don't be overly accommodating. Just to make sure people don't feel, like, threatened by you. If exactly. they feel threatened, it's not At this point, you. I'm at, and it's like, yeah, if you're threatened by me, then that's that's something you got to go deal with. Like, that's between you and God. But that ain't got <laughs> nothing to do with me. But growing up, that was definitely something that was always in the back of my mind. Like, oh, I have to make sure this, this person of not African-American descent is not threatened by me. Yeah. Just because of the color of my skin, because I don't want them to think like, oh, look, hold on. He's being loud. He's being he's difficult to work with. He's dangerous. He's threatening. Yeah. But also certain parts of colorism had or have their place. Right. I don't fault my parents or anyone for maybe instilling in me. Make sure you don't don't be standing in the sun. Also, because I'm a burn. I sunburn. I don't tan. (laughs) Like I be fucked up. Right. As much as I want to frolic in the sun, it is not. Where do you think that comes from? It comes from survival. I feel like if. If you knew that your children had a better chance based on the fact yeah. that if they had any whiteness in them. Yeah. So at first it was curated. You know, you purposely went lighter and lighter as you marry people. My family is very mixed. So we got some chocolate. We got some light. We got some white, all that. But I feel like they understood you may get into these rooms that I'd never have access to. And why wouldn't you do your best? I'm not a parent, but I think parents try and do their best. And if you know this yeah. one thing, if you stay in light, if you're not getting a tan, if you marrying this man, they were, they were just trying to help you to survive the the only way they knew how is it right but is, is that it, perpetuating the problem 
But it, you or not you have to think about people's level of education and understanding. If you're coming from a place of survival and I've been working this job and maybe they're not educated, maybe they're not even. But people with college degrees be thinking this shit too, okay? <laughs> but I feel like it was like I know you're gonna survive. I know you'll have a better place in life. Yeah. It may not be right, but I'm gonna give you this knowledge. But I also feel like the black community doesn't want to talk about it. They never want to talk about the fact that it, within families you treat siblings differently. Absolutely. Like you treat the darker one different than you treat the lighter one. Yeah. You know, and even if they don't understand it, like I, I may have got more passes as a kid. I also wasn't a fuck up. Personally. But I could. Or I how got, the lighter, the lighter yeah. family members are the pretty family members. You're like, pretty. Or the ones with the better. Oh, that's good hair. Just the just the term good oh. hair. That's so triggering to me. It is. Hey, yo, I got whole ass locks, y'all. Whole ass locks. We both do. Forcey, all day, gang, gang. But um, that whole good hair, air quotes, like that's a part of colorism too. Like that people don't understand that. You need to talk about that shit. But it's a whole growth factor that I had to go in. Because I used to say good hair. I used to tell a motherfucker, you better go press your hair. Like, get that natural shit out the way. <laughs> no, like, you stayed with I did a press. A, yeah, you did a total 180. But I even went natural trying to save my press. It wasn't even to go natural. It was oh, because shit. my hair was breaking, pressing. Yeah. So I was like, but then me, being the Capricorn I am, I couldn't just go natural. I had to research it. I had to read books. And then as I really delved into it and understood, like, Europeans put this separation into us by yeah. hair. They define good and bad. That just doesn't they exist. They set the standard of beauty. Yeah. They wouldn't give us the things to keep our hair up. So then, of course, we had to have scarves on, and it was nappy, and it was matted. But I'm also happy to be nappy. <laughs> and understanding that what our hair is meant to do and what it's not. Like, and they call it unprofessional. I'll slick an edge down twice a year because I could give a fuck. My edges ain't slick. Yeah. That's not what they do. It's cute. Baby hairs are bomb. But do I want to take the time and do I want to feel judged when I don't I do mean, it? I mean, let's be real. A lot of these corporate grooming standards were literally put in place to keep niggas out. Literally. Period. The length Period. of your hair. Period. Like, why I can't show up with a birdcage? Is you mad because my, you can't have one? My hair doesn't do that. My hair grows and it spirals and it goes up. Your hair grows out and it's limp and it's dead. Like, my hair can never do that. Our hair is an outward expression of God. We are reaching for the heavens. And if you don't believe it, just think about it. My we defy gravity. <laughs> <laughs> and she said what she said. Okay. Said Talk about it. Said. Talk about it. But um, circling back to your experiences with colorism, have you ever been in a situation that you felt like you had to hourly prove that you were tougher than you probably wanted to be in the situation? Oh, all, all the time. People are always trying to try me because I'm light and I'm little. And, yeah. I, you know, and sometimes I may not have wanted to be as you know, volatile or enraged, but I have to because yeah. you kind of like go crazy to keep, to make people back away because they will continuously test you just based on because you're supposed to be soft. Okay. I'm asking a series of questions now. So have you ever been in a situation where you did not like your skin? No. I've never had an issue with the color of my skin. Mm. I've never wanted to be darker. I've never wanted to be lighter you know, like it's just it just is it what, just it is. what it is. Yeah. 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 But I understand people who want to change. Like I have lighter skin friends who emojis are really dark and I'm like, bitch, that's not you. Do you <laughs> Yo, I use the blackest emoji too. Why? Like I use the Why? blackest emoji. It's not you. It's not you. <laughs> my emojis is literally like my soul. Like, nigga, I have the blackest soul of all time. Mm. But yeah, I'm definitely like medium. I'm gonna like need this. you to update your emoji to be in <laughs> reflection with your caramel. Yo. On the fucking spin reel. <laughs> I don't understand this. Yo, my fist be the blackest, though. Like, it's the blackest fist. But how would you feel if a dark-skinned black person was using a white emoji? 
Oh, I would just think that they probably just didn't update it. They were probably just using the stock yellow one. <laughs> <laughs> but what if they're like, my soul is pale? Okay, well, then we'd have to talk about that. Because <laughs> then my question is, why? Like, why is your soul pale? Because, like, the reason I use the blackest of the emojis is because at the end of the day, my energy is the blackest that it can possibly be. Like, regardless of where I fall on the skin spectrum or whatever, when it comes to, like, black culture and black shit, I'm black as fuck, period. So that's why, for me, like... It's just like, yeah, I'm black. Like, at the end of the day, I'm going to be treated black. That is what it is. You're so killing like, me, Larry. So, like, for me, it's more <laughs> so of, like, where where I'm going to be treated. Because I'm not going to get any special treatment because I'm two shades darker than the blackest of the black. Yeah. Period. So, that that's kind of how I look at it. But if somebody were to say that, hey, like, my soul is actually pale, but I'm dark, then I would just simply ask them, why do you feel that way? Because then let's get to the bottom of that. Because maybe you feel that way because you are trying to associate yourself in proximity to whiteness. That's a very good explanation. I really still feel like your emoji is supposed to be representative <laughs> of what the She's fuck you actually look like. Emoji. I'm it's not fucking an with emoji. No, I want them to match. <laughs> like it should be as close as it possibly can be to what you actually look oh, like. Oh man, it's an emoji though. It's an emoji. I think it's because I like animation. So all these fun Maybe. buttons, and I'm like, that's not what your character looks like. <laughs> like, if we were that's ha- like, iPhone shit. <laughs> yeah, like, that's <laughs> not what your, like, your character looks like. That is not who you are in that's this game of life. Funny. That's funny. Okay, sorry. I got that. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking tangent about I'm not bad at the tangent. I'm not bad at the tangent. Uh, what else are we going to touch on this, this um, uh, colorism? Let's see. Actually, what's on my mind about colorism is... It could just go into our That's Wild topic. Because oh, yeah. We're going to get straight into That's Wild? <laughs> shit is real wild. We got a blast from the Afro past. The Afro past? <laughs> <laughs> Yo. Straight out of 1996. Like, your favorite, used to be favorite, clueless character. Ugh. When she was still dripping in the sauce, and then she uh, turned in her black card. She turned that shit in. Yeah, revoked. God, she was like, I won't be needing this anymore. But. Peasants. Here we are. <laughs> Go ahead and run the clip. Go ahead and run the yeah, clip. Let me just, um, in case you guys have been living under a rock, I'm going to go ahead and play this clip from yours truly, Stacey Dash. I've lived my life being angry, which was what I was on Fox News. You know, I was the angry, conservative black woman, and... At that time in my life, it was uh, who I was. And I realized in 2016 that anger is unsustainable and it will destroy you. What people don't know is that I made a lot of mistakes because of that anger. Is she acting? Oh, no, we do know. We do know exactly what you did. She even put the little, like, the The little waver in her voice, like the little crack. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was the deepest eye roll. I've been able to give in a very long time. Like, bitch, are you serious? You're fucking trash. You are fucking trash, Stacey. (laughs) You're fucking trash. Like, garbage. Spazzatura. Basura. What did you think was gonna happen? Garbage. Is she sorry or she can't get her movie made? That's what it really is. I think that's really what it is. So in 2018, they were trying to get this movie called Roe v. Wade. And Stacey Dash 
was supposed to be playing Mildred Jefferson, the first black woman to graduate from Harvard Medical School and the former president of the National Right to Life campaign. A black woman, sadly, one of the first pro-lifers. The funny story is the director told a short story about how a woman stormed up to him demanding to speak to the director. And he was like, I'm the director. And then she said, go fuck yourself, took her headset off and threw it on the floor. He found out later that she was the electrician on set. So people just started dropping like flies because the movie started off as a regular movie and then it turned into a pro-life movie and the staff didn't know about it. And once they found out, they were all like, fuck this, we're out. Like that wasn't in the original nah, script. we didn't see this. No Take one's fucking with Hollywood is left. very liberal. Extremely liberal. They Extremely pay, liberal. they're at all the Democratic like things. They're Everything. at all of Hillary Clinton's things. Everything. They're at all of Bernie's things. It's popular to be liberal and yeah. ho like Hollywood is full of people who are individuals and it's very heavy in it's the, the LGBTQ community. It's the and stuff like that. They're not fucking conservative. People They're of not, color. They don't believe that kind of shit. <sighs> but Stacy, let's, so Stacy, I believe turned in her black card, didn't think she was going to need it. And then realized that the conservative party, as well as Donald Trump, Lost. don't give a fuck about you. And they took an L and she was fired from Fox. How you get fired from Fox when you agree with everything they say? You're the top coon nigga and they fired you to replace you with another coon. Like, when will they understand cooning is not going to get you far? It only gets you so far. As Herman Cain. Her family don't even fuck with her, if I'm like, correct. Like, do Dane fuck with Dane her still? definitely doesn't fuck with her. Definitely doesn't fuck with her. Didn't, oh, and didn't she get arrested recently? Like, in the past couple of years, she put, like, white on the paperwork. Wait, she, <laughs> she she put white. She said she was white. She put white. Man, get out of here, Stacey. Like she put white, get but now you want to you want people to feel sorry for you and like the community that you abandoned. Yeah, you want us to really give a fuck about you, Stacey. This is when you try to play colorism and it doesn't work out in your favor because she thought she can go slide over there to that other side, and then as soon as it wasn't convenient to her, she wants to come back. I'm black, y'all. Remember, I'm black. No, we we've remember. already traded her in for G Easy. <laughs> I would definitely take that trade. <laughs> We've already, I've, I've, she's done. Like, there's a backlog. I'm trading her for G Easy. I'm trading her for Russ. I, there's a, so many people I would trade her for. Michael Rappaport is yeah. that how you say his last name? Like, there's a backlog of allies that are trying to get into the black community. So when you gave up your your spot in the lottery, honey, yeah, the cookout's full. <laughs> there's no more food left. All the ribs, the barbecue, it's the cookout. She came to the full. cookout no more. It's full. We are at capacity. You cannot come in here. She should go to Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. She should go to Mar-a-Lago. Maybe Trump can help her. Oh, he got kicked out of SAG after. So he can't act. Oh, no, he can't. No. Mm. He can't act anymore. He can't be on Twitter anymore. That's why he's he's doing baby tweets through paper. <laughs> I tried to tweet from a burner account. <laughs> <laughs> Stacy, you garbage. Nobody accepts this apology. It's done. It's yeah. dead. It's done. What y'all think? Y'all think we should let Stacey back into the black life? Yeah, let us know. Like, let us let us know what y'all feel about Stacey. I, I can't even say it with a straight face. She's so garbage. Like, I I actually relish in the sadness in her voice, real or fake, the fact that she even had to put on the show and had to let us know that you can't get no work, boo-boo. They can't even find places to film this movie. Locations are like, who's filming? Who? Nah. We, nah, we're busy. Sorry. Like, well, maybe Candace Owens can help her out. Yeah. Or Tommy Lauren. Oh. Or Laura Ingram. <laughs> or Ann Coulter. She should yeah. definitely get up Ann. 
They can help her. Yeah. But they won't. No. Mm-mm. Damn. Well, that shit's wild. Um, farewell to you. Bye, bitch. Yep. And um, I think we're out. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for joining us. All right. Episode three in the books. Tune in. Hit us on social media at the BNSP show. And if you guys have anything you guys want to say to us, hit us at the BNSP show at gmail.com. Holla. Peace.